Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for some uh, great time in your word. And I pray as we open up this, this letter, uh, we would we'd be challenged by, I think all of us at some point in our lives, either when we're really young, we think about all the great, awesome things we're going to do, and we lay out some plans, and then we get older, we see those plans go left and right, and sometimes we feel like we're lost, and then we face struggles and trials and things coming our way, and we can see this beautiful relationship between Paul and Timothy kind of put on display for us. That you can just feel the affection that Paul has to Timothy, and you can see in what Timothy has done in the timeline of his life, his affection for Paul, and so we see this beautiful display of mentoring, fatherly, spiritual relationship, and I know, Lord, that it's something you want for us all to have with others in our lives. Important to others, others important to us. It's when we're when we're growing the best is with other people. So help us to see that and be motivated to do that in our lives a more. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Second Timothy um, is a it's a focused letter on the personal ministry of Timothy. First Timothy we went through in the fall is very much about church structure, church leadership. You can tell that the letter is in response to Timothy writing a letter to Paul, and he's helping Timothy work through some stuff. So Timothy's in his church. He's feeling a little strung out. He's feeling a little irritated. He's feeling a little lost, and he's begging his mentor for some advice. Second Timothy is a very personal letter of Paul to Timothy, as maybe the last words you may ever read from this mentor. And so you have to kind of make the shift a little bit in your mind as we walk through the fall, we walk through First Timothy, which is a lot about church plan, church structure, leadership, false teachers, and this letter is much more about his personal relationship. Um, that's why I think it's a very beautiful letter. It's also uh, kind of structured in a way that we will see as we go through this. John Stott, um, pastor out of England, Paul's preoccupation in writing to Timothy was with the gospel, the deposit of truth which had, which had been revealed and committed to him by God. And so John Stott would break it down like this. Chapter 1 is about guarding the gospel. Chapter 2 is about suffering for the gospel. Chapter 3 is continuing in the gospel. And chapter 4 is a bold command to proclaim the gospel. So this is a very help people know the truth Pour your life out and for others to know Jesus. So there's there's definitely some some weight to the letter, but it's also something that most of us are going to be pretty familiar with. But we might as we go through this for the next several weeks, having some moments where like, ooh, I might be able to focus a little more on that, or yeah, I need to need to maybe make some changes, or I maybe need to reach out to some people. So that's the hope is that we would see. This beautiful relationship between Timothy and Paul, we would see the importance of the gospel, and we would also see how Paul, even close to his end of his life, he's still pouring out into Timothy and those who are around him. So to start, we're going to take a look at the first seven verses, which is really about Timothy becoming a leader and what it is to be a leader who's focused on the gospel. So we're going to be in verses one to seven. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read it, and then we'll break it down. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I might be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So to start, you get this pretty powerful personal connection on the display. He calls him his beloved child. This is an adoptive relationship. This is a mentoring relationship. This is a this is a teacher taking a pupil under his wing and then spending a lot of life with him. He was not his natural born child. This isn't Paul is his physical father, but he was most definitely his spiritual father. And Paul says, to start, I'm an apostle of Christ. That means that he was taught by Jesus. The other apostles were taught by Jesus in person, and Paul was taught by Jesus the road to Damascus, the road he was encountered Jesus in that moment. And so to claim yourself to be an apostle means you were taught by Jesus himself. Today, some people in some churches and some denominations will kind of throw that around. I think that's not appropriate, but who am I to tell people what they should probably do all the time? You shouldn't do that. There's a clear distinction of being called an apostle. Now, I understand where that comes from. Because people say, well, I have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside me. I have the Word. Jesus taught me through the Spirit. I understand what they're getting at. But there's, there's a biblical distinction of apostleship. An apostle is someone who's encountered Christ. Now, if you can say that Jesus has come to you and has taught you, then when we've had that conversation, that's not usually not what people are saying. So, but he's putting his authority on the beginning of the letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ, period. Jesus, by the will of God, according to promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. He's giving Jesus all the credit. He's understanding where he's been taught by Jesus. He understands who he is. He understands his past. He understands all these things, and it's all been washed by Jesus. He doesn't have to have the, the millstone around his neck of persecution of Christians. He doesn't have to carry that anymore because the will of God was for him to be an apostle. He was taught by Jesus himself. Then he says to Timothy, my beloved child, and he tells him, I love you, man. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We get the weight of Paul being appointed to this position. He didn't desire it. We know his story. He was on the road to take out Christians, and Jesus chose him, captured him, grabbed him, blinded him, rocked his world. And so Paul is putting all of this into this spot. He denotes who he is, he denotes how he came here, and then he says, To my child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It has the typical readings of most of his other openings of his letters, but not this personal. Not this personal. 
We see three means of grace that God used to transform this, this man. This is Timothy, this young boy who then became the leader of one of the biggest churches in the region. Um, we see the need for personal mentorship. We see that he had a godly mother and a godly grandmother. And we see that the Spirit imparted the gifts upon him. So we're going to see those three things on display in this section of Scripture. That the power of a mentor was clear in his growth and in his life and was necessary for Timothy to know how to lead, how to do things, how to teach the gospel. He was mentored in a very deep way. We know that his foundation was laid by his family. And we know that he was gifted. And we see those things come together. We see some pretty powerful leadership coming out of Timothy. To kind of get a baseline of where Timothy's coming from, this is a timeline that we can pull out of the scriptures of what he did and where he was and how he served him. And I just share this because I want you to see just how much time they spent together and also how tight they were. So you have Timothy with Paul and Silas. He goes, he's in Philippians. He's at Philippi. So when you see the church and the letters and the church in Philippi and the letter of Philippians, you're going to see those he's mentioned. Um, Paul, when he flees, Timothy's with him. He, Timothy hooks back up with him in Athens, and they go on to Macedonia. Timothy goes to Thessalonica to encourage believers. Like, he's all over the place with Paul. Timothy joins Paul in ministry in Corinth, and he brings the letter to the church in Thessalonica. He brings word back and forth. And so when Paul's responding to the church in Thessalonica, as Timothy's been there, you, you see that back and forth of advice and here's what's happening and I'm not sure what's going on and so this whole region, Timothy is part of Paul's ministry from, from the very beginning when, when Timothy begins to walk and talk and be with Paul. He goes to Ephesus to work with Paul during his three years there and then Paul sends Timothy with the first the, church, the letter to the church in Corinth, the first one. Paul goes to Corinth in person and then he and Timothy write the letter to Rome of Romans we have is written then. And then Timothy's with Paul during his first imprisonment in Rome. We see Paul go to Ephesus, and that's when Timothy becomes the pastor. Paul writes 1 Timothy and Titus. We see the persecution in Rome follows the fire. Paul returns to Rome, is arrested, and he writes 2 Timothy from the Mamertine prison, we believe. And then he dies. So this isn't just Timothy is a kind of a lap dog, going around being carried by Paul. Paul is sending him out to do things. Hey, I'm going here, you go there. Hey, I trust you with this response, you go teach them. Hey, I helped found this church in Ephesus, and Timothy, I'm now committing you to take it over. There's a, a work relationship, there's a bond, you can imagine all those times on ships and road trips and they got to know each other and he's mentoring him and Helping him, and he's, he, can you imagine being taught by Paul? Just the ability to reason and logic through the scriptures, and that would be unbelievable, wouldn't it? That for a little over a decade, you have this man, like the disciples spent three years with Jesus. Timothy spent over a decade traveling, learning, teaching, being around him. Like, he even has a, a a larger role in this ministry that Paul is doing that sometimes we just miss. So there's a deep connection between these two. 
verses 3 and 4. I thank God whom I serve, as in my ancestors with clear conscience, as I remember you constantly my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul thanks God for his clear conscience. This does not mean that Paul was without sin. It means he was without guilt. That's all of us. It doesn't mean when you walk the Christian life that you don't have sin in your life anymore. But it means you walk without the guilt of that sin. We've talked about this a lot over the years. That when you feel guilt and shame coming at you, that's from the enemy. God has no guilt or shame for you. He doesn't have that for you. There's no condemnation for you. It's, it's done, it's gone. And for Paul, who persecuted Christians, who held he was right there. He was part of all of this. He's part of all of the pain, all of the terror, all of until God changed him for him to say, I have a clear conscience. Helps us understand that it doesn't mean having a sinless life. It means having a guiltless life when we come to Christ. Now, the hope of us all. That as we grow, we sure we mature in our faith, we become less and less prone to the sins that we struggle with, that we have victory over them, that they become not a part of our life anymore. But to think that becoming a Christian means you will sin no more is not the case. We are always going to have something we struggle with, something that rears its ugly head. It's going to be there. But for Paul to tell us and to tell Timothy, I have a clear conscience. That should be one more insight into our guiltless lives. We are followers of Christ. We're guiltless. We're blameless. It doesn't mean we're sinless. We're always going to have that struggle. He continues, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. He prays for him. He prays deeply for him. If you have in your life people you pray for every day, Probably pretty close to you. Like when you get prayer requests, there's a list here, the list will go out, it will grow in the second service, and it goes to the elders, and when there's an emergency and you're part of the prayer team, and you get that text or that email to pray for someone, then you're praying for them. But there's sometimes people on that list that you don't even know who they are. You don't know that you don't know them. And so you pray for them. And then you find out that they're better, or they it, the situation is resolved, or they've been healed, or they've gone home to be with the Lord, and, and they come off your prayer list. If they've been healed, then they come off, right? But if you're praying for someone every day, then they're close to you. That's family, that's friends, that's close co-workers, that's your spouse, that's your children, that's your... And so for Paul to say... I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. That's, a, that's a, a loving connection that's deep. He then says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Now why are we crying? That those are the tears of separation. The last time we were together, it was really sad when I'm getting part of it. The last time we were able to serve together and I had to go away, they, there were tears. These, these guys had a tight relationship. 
So when I'm, I was reading this, I started thinking about, um, I talked to my dad, we made a talk in a couple of weeks, and he's had some health stuff going on, he's had some problems in the neck, and just, you know, he turned 72 in December, and he's still driving a school bus and running a machine shop, and I'm like, Dad, when are you gonna, like, slow down a little bit? And he has, but he's still doing stuff very physically demanding, and he has his whole life. I mean, he's worked hard since he was 15 years old, and he has never slowed down. Well, okay, so that's not true. He's slowed down to some in the last five or six years. But he's always up five in the morning working and, you know, doing and moving, and that's just what he does. And there's a lot of times, and it hit me in the last two or three years, um, I'm, not, I'm not prone to be a very emotional person. A lot of times I do have emotions, but I'm not prone to that. And I remember leaving two years ago, um, my dad had just turned 70, and I remember leaving the sins and feeling like, for the first time, my dad is kind of, kind of getting a little weak. He's kind of feeling frail to me. He's kind of feeling, and I got emotional about it. It's like I left, I lived 18 hours away, Something happens like this last week. Um, my stepmother was in the hospital. She, they thought she may have had a stroke. And so there's these moments where there's distance between us, and I'm finding myself a little more prone to lingering and leaving. Like, oh, this is, I shed a couple of tears. I've seen him shed a couple of tears because we live so far apart. I'm not sure what that looks like. I don't know how much longer the Lord is going to have him here with us. I don't know. I'm starting to have all these thoughts in my head. So, I'm reading this going, that last time they, they separated, there was no promise they would ever see each other again. And Timothy loves Paul so much, and he's had such an influence in his life. He's been a father figure that he probably never had, or at least he wasn't in the picture very strongly. We'll see in a minute. So there's some emotion there. And so Paul is not picking on him. As I remember your tears, I long to see you. He's, he's sharing that affection. Like, I miss Timothy. And remember how the separation was hard on us both? I long to see you. And seeing you one more time would fill me with such joy. There's a beauty between these two. And it's a, a shared passion for gospel. It's a shared mission for people to know the truth, and it's a life that was shared in the most intimate way. He longs to see him again. I think we can also assume, especially when you get to this part, that Paul's commands to Timothy would be to have similar relationships in his life. That he would have Mentors like Paul had mentored him, and then Timothy would be a mentor to others. We see that in taking inference out of what he said in 1 Timothy. When he talked about church leaders and elders and deacons, we see that. We know Paul is also commanding that to Titus on the island of Crete and the building of churches. So if we're seeing why. As Paul supported his life into Timothy, and Timothy grew as a leader, the command is that the church as a whole would do that. So, a question of reflection. Like, who, who are you pouring into? And who is pouring into you? Like, I can think back of, and I can name the names. 
Brian was a huge leader that poured into me and showed me grace, no one else would. Um, I think they would, but they did it with a little bit of a hesitation because they knew my past. Um, Doug Warner mentored me for years in ministry. He really helped polish some of the rough edges around, and I still have plenty, but he took out the big ones. Um, Larry helped me understand about the Bible study. I sat with him and we did about the Bible study and poured into the scriptures. It was fantastic. He also taught me what it is to have a sustained time of quiet and prayer. Tim, guy who's part of ministry. Like, I have all these men who have mentored me over my life. Who mentored you? Who have been your mentors? Do you thank them? Do you appreciate them? And who are you mentoring? Who have you poured into? I think of all the, from teaching high school and helping with youth groups to college ministries and now working with men and churches and leaders and there's lots of people that I've poured into. Is that something that you long to do or is it something that's a task to check the box? Is it, is it effort? Is it, is it a problem? Is it, or do you love to do that? Maybe you call or email or text someone who's mentored you so you can thank them again. Maybe you should look around for some people that need some mentoring. It'd be pretty sad to have a long life of the Lord and not be pouring that into some other, sharing that with other people. Your pain, your struggles, your joys. That's how people grow. That's how people grow. He tells him. Paul, writing Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you. No mention of Timothy's dad, which I don't... There's conjecture that he died, that he just wasn't in a picture. There's all this stuff that people like to argue over. It doesn't matter. All we know is that Paul doesn't mention him, so he wasn't in the picture when it comes to faith. And so Paul is thankful for this upbringing that pointed Timothy to Jesus. And when Timothy encounters Paul, he's right to be mentored, and he goes on the journey with Paul. I mean, for me, this is very much a, a conviction to raise my children, knowing the Lord that I'm supposed to be, that I was part of the command of my life when I had kids was that I will set the kindling around them and I will pray for the spirit to light them on fire in face. And sometimes we did really well at it. Sometimes we did really poor at it. There's some great times of consistency, reading daily devotions, and, and then there's times when we were just trying to keep our heads above water and family didn't happen. But there was a there's a consistent desire in our house for my kids to grow, to know the Lord more. And yesterday was a day of teenage life in my house that I had yet to experience until yesterday. And it wasn't bad. It's just that my daughter is hanging out with these friends, and then the evening hits, and friends, Eli's come over for the evening, and I'm just, I'm beginning, I'm, I'm seeing the next four years of my life start to unfold in front of me. And it's a little bit of teenage angst and a whole lot of independence and we're going to 
push back against some things that dad thinks should happen, and there's just there's just dance happening in my house. And we're going to be fine. And part of my confidence is that no matter what comes in the next four years or so, we have put a deposit in our children of faith. When I really take about three steps back, even when there's tension, even when there's like some, you know, dad's dumb again kind of things. My kids love the Lord. My kids are growing in their faith. My kids want to serve him wherever they land in their life. I know that. They articulate that. They say that. And if we have some teenage hiccups, if we have some things go a little sideways, I know their salvation is secure. I know that they'll find grace and forgiveness and love no matter what comes in the tension of the teen years. So when Paul puts on display the very same thing between Timothy's grandmother and mother, like there's a there's an honored, compassionate thankfulness for this family, and it's a conviction for us all to raise our kids, to raise our grandkids, to help the kids in the children's ministry, the youth ministry, for them to know. Because there might not be a dad in the picture. There might not be a good situation at home. There might be something going sideways. And it's the responsibility of us all to help point these people, these little guys and gals, to Jesus. And Paul's saying, gosh, I'm reminded of what your family, their faith, and he's reminding Timothy, Timothy, God has picked you, has chosen you, he's ordained this, and he puts you in a family that may not have been a perfect family, but it's a family that shows his faith. Don't forget that. And he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. For this reason, I remind you. Why is he talking about the journey, why is he talking about his affection, why is he talking about his mom and grandma, why is he doing all this, why is he reminding Timothy of this in this last loving letter that he's writing because don't, don't diminish the flame you've been mentored your family pointed you to the truth of Jesus and Paul's saying I was there, I laid hands on God has blessed and ordained you to serve. Do not, don't let that flame diminish. Fan that flame. We, we all know about fanning the flame here. Why don't you go in? Just open the door. We all know what that's like. We've all been, most of us, I hope, have had a great time around the campfire. And the coals, you down to the coals, and you toss on the log. And you blow a little bit, maybe you can literally have a bellows, you have a fan, and then you take those coals and then it becomes a roaring fire all over again. And he's telling Timothy, fan that flame. You've been gifted by God. Do not let this diminish. I was there. You've been gifted. You have no reason to be afraid. You have no reason to shrink away. You have been bought with a price, loved by a family, mentored by a dear friend, do the work of the gospel. To be a gospel leader. 
He tells us, he gives that hint when he's talking about Timothy. It's about what it is to mentor someone. The two major factors of mentoring someone is you pray for them and you love them. It doesn't have to be, well, I know everything about systematic theology, I know everything about this, or we talk about all these things in life. You pray for them, you, you have affection for them, we're going to lift them to the Lord because you love them. And when you enter into that relationship, and you're talking, and you're living life, and you're sharing life, and you're sharing wisdom, and the key is that you pray for them and you love them. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to go through 17 steps. Do you pray for them or are you loving them? Everything else can flow out of that truth. And then he's telling Timothy, don't forget. And I would, I would call you to that. Mentors are poured into you. If your family poured into your faith, you need to fan that flame. Next week, we'll talk about gardening the deposit. It's a continuation of this thought. God has done great things in you. He saved you. He bought you with a price. So don't get lazy. In the Christian life, there's no room for laziness. There's no room for stopping. There's no room for quitting. There's time for rest. But that's different. We can rest. We pour ourselves out, and we need to rest. But we don't get lazy. We don't say, well, you know, someone else can do that. Well, I don't know. I've done my time. Well, I don't know. I'm not good enough for that. Well, I've still got some sinful things in my life. I'm not sure I can be used by God. If Paul can be used, any of us can. Fairly certain that no one in here has killed anyone for their faith. If you have, we need to have a very serious conversation. So if you're going to try to play the comparison game, you got nothing on Paul. We're not called to just be timid and sit back. We're called to engage. I found this quote this week, um, and I kind of like this. I don't know why. I like Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, he has a, a fiery kind of preaching that is not like mine. And he was uh, very evangelistic. He was also super intelligent. Like the guy was he was trained to be a doctor and went into ministry. The guy is just phenomenal. And so when I was reading one of his entries about this passage, um, he used the phrase that we're all called to gossip the gospel. Now he was writing in England and he was writing in the late 1800s. And so he was. Um, well, I might have been 19 years. I might have a time wrong. Don't quote me on that. I have to research that. Um, but he had seen something happen in the newspapers and stuff that was happening around. There was lots of talk and lots of things. And so he was making a point. Well, if we're going to gossip about dumb stuff, let's at least gossip about the gospel. But you know how sometimes gossip can spread real fast and people make things up and they can take over a community and can spread through a group and really he was advocating for gossiping the gospel. That just like you'll talk about other people, just like you'll talk about the weather, just like you'll talk about what's happening in the news or what's going on in the world, that do you have rolling off of your lips that kind of consistency with the gospel? The good news of Jesus just comes out of your mouth. And so as Paul is entrusted this mentorship in Timothy that he's going to carry on, I think that we need to understand that we've been entrusted with that same kind of truth. 
And I think sometimes we feel like we're inadequate. We can't do it. I would highly encourage you to jump in into things that you feel certain in, but you're not quite sure about. You should jump in. I remember a leader taking a, a bit of a risk on me, and I was a teacher, um, so I was comfortable getting up in front of people. I didn't really have that issue, but I never really taught pieces of scripture before. And so it was youth camp, and there's 250 youth kids at this camp, and so I get uh, I get the parable of talents, and I completely. Like there's nothing, I've gone back and looked at my slides before, I saw the PowerPoint slides from maybe 20 years ago, and it was a disaster. He took a risk on me. I didn't do anything completely inevitable, but I didn't need to pass properly. And from that point forward, I just started any time I had a chance to teach, I talked. If I got asked to teach in the kids ministry, I went for it. Youthers, good. Um, in town, the local college ministry was, hey, Mike, would you like to come? Yeah, I'll be there. I took every seating engagement I could have. I felt the call to teaching and to preaching, but I wasn't, I wasn't 100% sure. So I just, every chance I had, I went for it. And then someone came along to me and said, Mike, I think God's calling you to ministry. And this is the moment in the youth room where Amber laughed. And I felt for the first time someone confirming something I was feeling. And it wasn't that she was being mean about it. I had never spoken that out loud. I had never really thought about it that deeply. There was a lot of things in my life that wasn't lined up to where I should. And Amber never wanted to be a pastor. Funny how God has changed things, isn't it? And so I, I share that because I've, I've had people over the years, the last decade of ministry, will come to me and say to me, like, I really feel like the Lord is calling me to this. I'm like, okay. Well, how often have you engaged in that? How often have you pursued that? How often have you, well, I, I don't want to never, I just, I just think, I, I think I should have a title. I think I should have this position. I think I should have, I should lead this. Well, maybe you should volunteer a little bit before. Maybe you should engage in this ministry a little before. Maybe you should. Um, and so there's a hesitancy when someone has not been through a mentoring, guided, uh, put themselves out there, excited about wanting to do it, just willing to serve, just willing to give. And instead, they come along with a, you know, I, I could fix this place. I could run this show. Well, you've never served in that ministry. Yeah, but I'm, I'm a gifted leader. That can be really dangerous. And so what Paul has done with Timothy, you see that time I'm quite sure with you, is that over several years, they spent time together. They grew close together. He saw him in action, and he gave him more and more and more responsibility. So that at the end of Paul's life, he's writing a letter to Timothy saying, remember all that stuff? We did a lot of crazy things for the Lord, didn't we? Fan that flame. Fan that flame. And if you feel God serving things in you, fan that flame. Put yourself out there. Volunteer. Jump into something. Have that 
conversation with that person that's been in the back of your mind for five years to have that conversation about Jesus, and you've been scared to do it. Remember what's been imparted in you. Remember what you know. Remember how much you love the Lord, how much he loves you, and then start that conversation. I know it's not easy. But if God has taken you this far, and he's moved you closer and closer to him, he's not going to fail on that Would you be willing to gossip the gospel? I felt really convicted several times in my life. I talked about a million things and not me. What if I just spent like the next two weeks talking all about you? What about every conversation I have with someone? I at least pointed towards faith a little more than I have. What would we see in the kingdom of happen? I think that's a challenge for us all. Know where we come from, know we're loved by God, and help others to see that too. All right, let's pray. Dearly Father, Thank you so much for trusting us with the truth, for saving us, for helping us to live lives that make much of you and less about ourselves. I pray, Lord, as we go about this week and we spend some time reading 2 Timothy again, we reflect on the mentors you've put in each of our lives. And maybe we're hungry for a mentor now. That you would help put some people in our lives and we can learn from and we can sit with and we can grow together. And help us look for maybe people we need to be mentoring. That we would pour our lives out into others to continue the kingdom growth that we see in those kinds of relationships. Help us, Lord, to, to trust that you save us not just for eternity but for our presence as well. We are overwhelmed with the knowledge that you have saved us from sin, with your act on the cross, but we need help here now. Until you call us home or you return, we need help. We need power, we need confidence, we need boldness, and that only comes from a relationship with you. So I pray the Spirit would empower us, I pray the Spirit would guide us into great conversations, and we would see more and more people come to a saving faith in you because we're pouring ourselves into them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have an announcement before we sing our last song of fellowship.